In the following live session recording, Mike Griffin, public affairs representative for the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, talks about the Christian's response to the growing LGBT culture. This is a comprehensive study on how the church can reach out to the LGBT community without compromising the gospel and the integrity of church membership. It is important that churches respond lovingly, but firmly using biblical truth. Let's join Mike now. Uh, this is a comprehensive study on how the church can reach out to the LGBT community without compromising the gospel and the integrity of church membership. Wow, I just said an awesome mouthful. <laughs> that's big, but that's what we've got to do. Uh, it's important that churches respond lovingly, but firmly on biblical truth. This session will discuss how to graciously deal with the LGBT community and the policies needed to protect the church's religious freedom. Because that's the next class I'll teach tonight is going to deal with religious freedom and how it's related to evangelism conditions. It's right there connected. I start with these couple of passages of scripture, and that is that the, that the sons of Issachar understood the times that they knew what to do. And I think that's where we are today, that God wants us to understand the times. And that, that's what this is, trying to help us understand what's going on. I mean, and then, if we could ever get a grasp on what's going on, then to do what would be the most important thing, and that is to know what to do in this uh, I was with the governor this year, and we spent some, we had a prayer time with him, and he was saying, no, I don't have a problem. My issue is not knowing what to do. I know what's right. I ask you to pray for me to have wisdom and know when to do it, how to do it. So there's understanding the time, then knowing what to do, and that's part of what this is about, what the church has to do. And then to look at it from this standpoint, we're, we're living in a difficult day. Look at here. Let's thank the Lord that for such a time as this, as it said in the book of Esther, God's brought us into the kingdom. I mean, wow. Think about it. What, what better time to have light than when it's dark? <laughs> and, you know, if, if it's pitch dark, and that's kind of the way it is in our country, man, I mean, just a match makes a difference. I mean, boy, it just... Everybody in the room will see it because there's nothing else to compete with it. <laughs> and the more darkness we're getting in our country, uh, the more need of light. And it's just going to take some light to make a difference. And we just pray that the Holy Spirit will blow on that light and it just, you know, just blow it up. And we don't know what God may do. You know, I don't, uh, I don't believe it's over. I believe that my God can do anything. And I believe that God can see the revival change this nation. So, but you know, I'm, I'm with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He may, he may not. Not like Marty Bible, may not. But, but you know what? We're not bound. Our God's able, but we're not going to bow down to the king's idols. We'll stay firm. Keep our eyes on Jesus. We're going to walk in the midst of this storm. We're going to be faithful. See God do some things that people probably never thought we'd do, so we get all the glory. So we're not we're not giving in, we're not quitting. I want to tell you about a book that I wrote that I wrote. <laughs> really? Uh, a book that I read about five years ago. I don't know if this is still out there. Glenn Stanton wrote this book 
called uh, loving my LGBT neighbor. And you say I've worked through this kind of like a fucking like cookbook. Mm -hmm. But I use that as a basis of the premise, and I give him a lot of credit. I give quotes in here from him in this book. I've got tons of other books, but I've worked at the Capitol. I read. Uh, I work with activists. I, I'm friends with the LGBT community and some of these activists that are out there. And so, I, I you know, I maybe it's like farmers insurance. I know a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two. Mm -hmm. And and reading this, and uh, really knew for sure that I was saved since I was 14. Uh, been pastor 30. Five years I'm only in this state. Never been a Sunday in 35 years. I haven't been a pastor in the state of Georgia. Uh, 58, uh, knocking on 60. And uh, so I'm going to share with you out of that resource of, of just being a Christian, being a pastor, being a crazy lobbyist. You know, as most people think, you know, they even smile or spit if you think about me being a lobbyist. I never thought I'd run for office. And I sure never thought I'd be a pastor, preacher. So God done miraculous things in my life. I never thought I'd be a pastor. I never thought I'd be in office. And I sure never thought I'd be called a lobbyist. You know. But anyway, so that's kind of where I'm coming from on that. Now, let's talk a little bit. Let's just, and this is this is basically a one-on-one class. Although it's not going to take very far if you're going to get into it. And so even myself, I'll, I'll be confused after a while. Uh, because uh, here's an article in New York Times came out last year in June explaining the LGBT, which is now it's just a foreign phrase. Because that's not exhaustive. But the LGBT alphabet. Uh, and so you're going to go up to 12, 15 legitimate uh, letters. But I'm going to give you kind of the beginning, and so that's what we're going to talk about. You see the additional letters over there. Let's talk about what a lesbian is. A lesbian, of you may already know that. It's a, it's a woman or women who are sexually attracted to other women. Then the term gay, which is a broad used term. Typically, it's men who are sexually attracted to other men. Also, a general term for uh, same attraction. Bisexual. One who is sexually attracted to and interested in both male and female. And then uh, transgender, which is becoming very big today. It's a person who is physically born male or female, but is either starting the transition to or, current, or currently lives according to the gender that they feel is inside them. Now, I'm going to throw this out there, and that's the gender-bred person. Of course, it can't be the gender-bred man but it is a gender-bred uh, person. And I know that's it's kind of interesting, but in 2012, this came out in uh, California, no surprise. I think it was uh, used in a teaching conference in Alabama. And in it, I just want you to see, I think there's a uniform that they brought out too with the different colors, saw that on Facebook last week. And again, I want you to see how they're looking at it. this. Is this is really uh, the place that's having one of the most, one of the greatest detriments, or will have in the future, is going to be the school system, sex education. Uh, we're in California now. You can't opt out of it. Uh, you don't have a choice as a kid. Whereas in Georgia, there is some leeway where the parents can pull you out. But this is what is coming. 
depends on your school system. And that's why this whole problem we're dealing with is becoming a very local issue uh, where you're going to be very connected to your commissioners, your councils, and your, uh, your board of education to be active in what's going on and what they're requiring. Um, but you've got gender expression, uh, gender identity, biological sex, sexual orientation. Let me make sure I've got this. It's also in your, um, it's in your, on your paper there as well. What's interesting, it goes all the way down to sexual orientation. Uh, but look how they've got it laid out. Your identity is what you've got in your head. Your orientation is what's in your heart. Of course, your sex is your biology. But they're, you know, again, on the outside, what the expression of is what you're determining. And so I just wanted you to see um, where we're heading. And when you're teaching that to people, to children, and like in, uh, I think it was in Canada, there was a law, I don't think it ever was passed, to say you technically do not have to put on your birth certificate what your gender is until you're after 12. So you don't even put that on there because it's something to be determined later. You know, we're living in a day when the other side said, you know, people of faith acknowledge, don't acknowledge biology. Now we're seeing the left totally ignoring biology. And, uh, you know, again, 50, 75 years ago, and I'm going to talk about this in the history, you know, this was considered to be a disorder that was to be treated medically. Psychosis, neurosis, I mean, it was, it was a medical situation that someone was having regarding their, their mental ability to be able to comprehend who they are. Now we're living in a day where people are indicating this and then they're being, instead of help out of it, they're being aided to continue to go into it. And if you do try to help them, then you're going to be considered to be hateful uh, or some other term. But let me just go ahead and keep going. The, the, then you have the, the, the Q. I'm going to add that. It's not in your notes. But uh, the Q stands for queer. Queer generally identifies one as challenging the moral value and hierarchy of most sexual expressions and identities. And that, that definition is different over here. So you're going to see this. This is kind of a moving uh, picture. And then I'm going to add in this uh, gender dysphoria, which is coming out now. And that's, that's a very big thing. Gender dysphoria is poorly is a poorly defined syndrome comprising one uh, comprising one or more mental health problems, commonly including anxiety, depression, among others. It includes a strong desire to be the opposite sex or at least to perform in stereotypes. Uh, we're dealing with a bill right now. Uh, at the Capitol, was it this last year? It'll be promoted more this year, coming up in 2020, against conversion therapy, saying that uh, a licensed therapist, not just someone who's doing counseling uh, on a volunteer basis, but if you're a licensed counselor by the state of Georgia, you will not be able to counsel anyone conversion therapy regarding this has to do with trying to get someone the goal would be to reverse their gender back to their original. So 
anybody that does that will be fined initially, eventually can lose their license to practice in the state of Georgia. Is the state of Georgia paying any attention to uh, Pelosi's latest uh, piece of legislation they call the act? We are. Uh, what the legislature is, I don't know. I have a video on it that I might show in just a moment. But yeah, I'm going to get to that. It's it because that right there, oh, I've read some of it. Yeah, it's terrible. Oh. It's everything that I'm going to warn you of in just yeah, a minute. Going, that act is is targeting within the home. Right. What it will not, do? Not, not just out in the yeah. I'll go ahead and address it now. But yeah. just basically, what it will do is will make sexual orientation, gender identity as a civil right. Well, with the power. With the same the power. With the, well, but I mean, I'm just yeah. saying, but it will carry with the same fines and penalties of racism and uh, you know, sexism you know, for, for discrimination based off of sex and race. Carry with it the same fines and penalties. It will raise it up to that level. Of which, while we, since we brought that up, I do have this as an additional handout. Arguments against sexual orientation, gender identity law. Oh, I think I hand them over here. You start passing around because I'm fixing to get to that in just a moment. But as, as we look, I, I, I'm going to take you out in some some rough water. So just hang with me because what we're seeing here is all of these kinds of issues are um, beginning to move into other issues. And that is where you see pedophilia no longer as a crime, it's a disorder. You know, so all these things all started out as disorders. Or so they did start out as come on as crimes. Crimes, disorders, orientations, orientations, identities, from identities to rights. And so we're already seeing that. I have a, 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 an article right here uh, where in France there was legislation to, uh, France passes law saying children can consent to sex with adults. So that's that's where unfortunately we're headed. And then you have people like Peter Singer, who was an ethicist at Princeton University, you know, basically saying, you know, sex with animals is no big deal. So you're looking at bestiality. I don't even want to go into all that. But my point, would you look at where we're heading with the transgenderism, dysphoria, pedophilia, bestiality? Uh, Jules Pfeiffer said this to say, satire doesn't stand a chance against reality. That's just how bad things are. You can't make, you can't, the truth is more bizarre than what I can make up today, unfortunately. Then I mentioned this, most people are thinking, and I have that article over here as well. It was, uh, uh, let's see, it was, uh, this just came out in June. Americans still greatly overestimate the U.S. gay population. There has statistics here that, that in, in many cases, as high as 29, people thinking that the gay population represents 29 to 20 percent of the actual population. When in reality, those are actually living that lifestyle is only about 1.4%. I know that, I'm just saying there's such a megaphone out there that makes it look that way. 
Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the age, but I, I just know there would be a child. And drink alcohol and smoke cigarettes. Choose which sex. Terrible. Let's talk a little bit about the evolution of homosexuality. Uh, homosexuality is a sexual attraction to someone of the same sex. Homosexuality was not originally known as an identity, but as an action. The term homosexuality as a category is only about 100 years old. And you won't find that term used in the Bible. You'll see modern translations that have it. It went from an act to a mental condition slash psychological disorder to an orientation. The same thing is being said, as I mentioned to you earlier, about pedophilia. And then since the mid-1980s, it has become an identifying characteristic or an identity. And because it's seen as that, then it has become a right. And so we'll note the social evolution of homosexuality. It started out as an act. Then it went to the thing itself was to uh, was, was classified as a disorder to be healed of. Then it moved to an orientation, thus a political movement. And now it moves to an identity, and thus to right. Now let's talk a little bit about the nature of homosexuality. There are three distinctions, uh, usually or once was viewed as one. First of all, we would start with same-sex attraction. These are people who consider themselves to have some attraction to to always being attracted to the same sex. You know, we might would use a word uh, in place of, of attraction to be the word temptation, that they feel tempted in that. <laughs> but you and I have to understand that, you know, temptation is one thing, lust is another thing, and activity is another thing. And so by way of how something progresses. But same-sex attraction. Secondly, same-sex orientation. There are people who always experience same-sex attraction. They consider it to be their uh, consistent or strongly dominant sexual desire or preference. And then there is same-sex identity. It is understood to be that those who consider their orientation as same-sex attracted, that is gay or lesbian, will go to then identify themselves with the uh, socio-cultural identity as yeah. And that, that's one thing that sets that apart from a right, because you usually have a social uh, group that you're you're identifying with that, that is a choice that you can choose to be a part of. Whereas being a male or a female or whatever race you are is that which is commensurate with your nature, who you are you were born as. So when it comes to responding to the gay agenda in our country, we think we have to I think we have to look at it in two, two categories. Uh, first of all, we have to look at it from the standpoint of the agenda. Then we look at it from the standpoint of the homosexual or the LGBT community. And so with respect to the agenda, guess what? We have to reject it. With respect to the homosexual, uh, we have to love them. Not love the homosexuality, but we're to love them as individuals still. So we reject the agenda. So when it comes to rejecting the agenda, we do so with every five of our being, at every point to which the LGBT agenda raises its head must be followed and resisted. 
Um, the agenda is connected to a moral slash sexual revolution. We're living in the midst of a sexual revolution like our world has never even experienced. We've seen it in different segments of society at different, different times of society. Uh, British theologian Theo Hobson said there are at least three characteristics of a moral revolution taking place. And I think there's one happening here in our country, but here, here's what he says. And I've, I've added to the brackets what would be relative to what we're experiencing in our country. He said, first of all, something that was nearly universally condemned, for example, homosexuality must now become nearly universally celebrated. Two, that which was celebrated, that being biblical morality in our case, must now be condemned. And that's, that's where we're headed. And then the third character trait, the third characteristic, those, for example, Christians uh, who refuse to celebrate that which was once condemned, homosexuality must be condemned themselves. So now the condemnation is going that way. And I mean, and then there's a sense of unrighteous indignation on the other side. And you have the Rolling Stones article that was written a couple of years ago about Tim Gill, who's the millionaire LGBT activist, who had said back before Governor Deal vetoed the Religious Liberty Bill that he had picked seven states that they were going to identify to be able to stop all religious liberty legislation. That Georgia was one of them. And he partially took credit in this article, I believe it was, in 2017, for stopping that religious liberty bill, which had three components. It wasn't just a ripple. And so then he comes out and says, now for the future, it's important that we get sexual orientation, gender identity, nationally known as SOGIs, into public accommodation laws so that you're able to force entities that serve the public they have to accommodate, for example, transgender bathrooms. And initially, always they circle out churches and nonprofits as not being included in that. But in Iowa and in Massachusetts, there have already been two cases in communities where they extended uh, non discrimination acts and SOGIs to include churches. And their justification was it's a public accommodation. And in one particular case, you would have something like a spaghetti supper, public invited, public accommodation. Or the justification was going to be in the future that if you had, for example, a revival, public invited, public accommodation. And all the way you could get around it if it was for members only, or you'd receive a personal invitation to come. It just didn't say public invited. Now, ADF got involved, Alliance Defending Freedom, and was able to stop both of those laws, and they went back and amended them. But what did it do? It kind of revealed where they were headed, realizing that they're not going to stop with secular things. They're going to actually eventually move into the church. And that's been one of the big problems that we've had, is that people don't think much about what goes on in the church. I mean, don't think much of what's going out here in the in business in general, we're not concerned about protecting religious liberty rights 
out here. We're only concerned when they try to come into the church. The problem with that is by the time they're getting ready to come into the church, they would have already you know, neutralized everybody out here from being able to protect themselves. It would just be a small jump to be able to take the church out. You just have to conform to it. And I'm just saying, listen to what he called it. He said, our goal is to punish the wicked. Does that sound like a Bible-thumping preacher somewhere? <laughs> no. Who's the wicked? You. Yeah. It says time to punish the wicked. Time to make them pay. And so you you have this statement from Al Muller a number of years ago. He says, we're accustomed to ministry from the top side in the culture, not from the underside. We are accustomed to speaking from a position of strength and respect and credibility. Now we're going to be facing the reality that we are already in much American that is speaking from position from a loss and then you have this uh, she's no longer working in the government but you have uh, Chai uh, Philbloom and here's what she said she said um, let me be very clear in almost all situations uh, and she was in the EEOC so I believe that the burden of religious people that will be caused by granting gay people full equality will be justified. For example, in the Equality Act that we've just seen that passed through Congress in the Senate. Now, this was way before you this was ever done the other day. She's already saying this is where it's heading. Again, you read these people when they're having a you know a real uh, brain release moment because they're letting you know where the agenda's heading. That's the part of this class, to reject the agenda. And so we have to know what the agenda is. And so she says that is because I believe granting liberty to gay people advances a compelling governmental interest, which is a principle in religious liberty cases. Does the government have a compelling interest? And then they have to limit the religious organization in the least restrictive way. So those, those are the legal arguments. She's using the correct terminology, saying that the government will have a compelling interest. You know, to enforce a public accommodation law. She didn't say that, but that's what it's headed. Uh, that such an interest cannot be adequately advanced if pockets of resistance. Who do you think those are? Churches? Christians? <laughs> to a societal statement of equality are permitted to flourish and hence that a law that permits no individual exceptions based on religious benefits will be the least restrictive means, so she's going to use the other term of religious liberty, of achieving, achieving the goal of, her liberty, uh, of, of liberty for gay people. And then she goes on to say, yet when push comes to shove, when religious liberty and sexual liberty conflict, she admits, I'm having a hard time coming up with a case in which religious liberty should stay. So with that, we come to my friend Travis uh, Barron, and he says this, the homosexual left will probably not go after churches until much later. Churches are a more sympathetic target before they will uh, likely target Christian businesses. For example, Arlene's Flowers, Masterpiece, Bake Shop, uh, Memories, Pizza, etc., and other Christian institutions. They're already trying to truncate religious freedom into the freedom of worship. In other words, freedom of religion is just what you do 
at your church on Sundays. We're for religious yeah. liberty. Um, the latter, of course, only exists during worship services and in the church building. The former is that First Amendment guarantees uh, what the First Amendment guarantees is that a much broader concept. That's why it's referred to in the Constitution as a free exercise of religion. With that being said, I want you to see this video talking a little bit about from Alliance Defending Freedom. Start out loud. Like in like in our church body lines, it's in there that um, you can't be gay, bisexual, any of that in order to be a member. Yes, and I'm going to talk about that after this. I'm going to show you how a church can protect itself legally, so that they get sued or they come into contact, they'll be able to to defend themselves. So a friend and I were walking around downtown Phoenix looking at Christmas lights this past holiday season, and we walked into a public women's restroom. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw something that caused me to do a double take. There was a guy in the women's restroom. Immediately, all of these confused thoughts started running through my head. Did I, did I walk into the wrong bathroom? Am I really seeing what I think I'm seeing? Is it, is it safe for me to stay? Should I leave and call for help? And then it hit me. Under Phoenix law, that guy has the legal right to be here. You see, Phoenix passed a sexual orientation gender identity law, which makes it illegal for businesses or public places to make any distinction among people based on their sexual orientation or gender identity. So. How in the world did we reach a place in our society where we're passing laws that allow men in the women's restrooms? Well, much of this can be traced back to political activists and lobbyists who are spending millions of dollars to pass SOGIs at all three levels of our government, federal, state, and the local or city level. Now, They've repeatedly failed to convince Congress to pass a SOGI at the federal level, and less than half of states have passed a SOGI at the statewide level. So the primary push right now is really to pass these laws at the local or city level. So here's how it generally works. An activist will approach a sympathetic city council member who then proposes the bill to his colleagues as a fix to a problem that, well, no one actually knew existed. But because the bill is clouded with words like discrimination and tolerance and well, the city council members, of course, don't want to appear uncaring, they oftentimes will quickly pass the bill into law without fully knowing its ramifications. So consequently, the community may not even be aware that a SOGI is being considered until it's already passed and on the books. Well, when SOGIs are passed into law, we insert them into what we call non-discrimination laws. And that sounds like a, a good and reasonable thing, right? But in actual practice, SOGIs are very problematic. For example, 
one challenge right off the bat is that even though we think we know what we're talking about when we use terms like sexual orientation and gender identity, these terms are actually pretty vague. They're not very well defined. I logged onto Facebook the other day and realized that Facebook now offers over 60 different gender options. No longer do you just select male or female, but you can choose from a wide variety of custom genders as well. Gender fluid, gender non-conforming, gender questioning, gender variant, gender queer, bi-gender, cisgender. And with regard to sexual orientation, even the experts disagree about what exactly it is. Some experts say, Sexual orientation is sexual attraction to men, women, both sexes, or neither sex. Other experts disagree and say, well, no, 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 it's actually personal identity based on your sexual attractions. Still other experts say, well, it's, it's really more behavioral in nature, based on your mannerisms or based on your sexual conduct. And then other experts say, look guys, it's really all of the above. But the bottom line is that sexual orientation just isn't an obvious or easily identifiable category like race. So ironically, we're actually forced to resort to stereotyping people. Not only do Soji's deal with vague and amorphous and difficult to define categories, but they also have very far-reaching effects. And if I may say so, they oftentimes will even reach absurd practical results. So consider these questions. Can a public school tell a teenage boy who psychologically identifies as a girl and dresses like a girl that he can't play on the girls' softball team? Or can a gay bar owner prefer to hire gay bartenders so that he can attract the type of clientele he's seeking? Or what about the corporate business office? Is it allowed to maintain a reasonable dress code and say, men, pantsuits only, while allowing women to wear those skirt suit combinations? Under a soji, the answer to all of these questions is no. Sojis have inserted into the law more confusion than clarity. Let's dig out of the weeds for just a minute. Have we actually even demonstrated that there's a need for SOGIs? My home city of Phoenix passed a SOGI just a couple years ago. And in the two years that this law has been on the books, only four complaints, four allegations of discrimination have been filed. All of which, by the way, were dismissed as baseless. If sexual orientation and gender identity discrimination were truly a widespread and pervasive issue and people were being fired from their jobs or denied access to public services based on these categories, I would expect to see hundreds of complaints filed in a city the size of Phoenix. And you know, I think that's one thing that made me so upset about finding that guy in the women's restroom we have no actual evidence that SOGIs are even needed. But we do have actual evidence that they open the door to all sorts of harm. SOGIs make it far too easy for men with evil intentions to exploit these laws. 
I have no idea whether the guy walking into the women's facility genuinely and sincerely identifies as the opposite sex or whether he's there to harm me. A man in Washington state used a soji to gain access to the women's swimming pool locker room where he then repeatedly exposed himself to girls as young as six years old. And local officials said, nothing we can do about it, guys. He's got the legal right to be there. Girls, if you're uncomfortable, find a different locker room. And in Toronto, a dangerous sexual predator used a soji to gain access to women's shelters, where he then raped two different women. As a woman, I feel vulnerable and unsafe knowing that my government places so little value on my personal privacy and safety. Sojis confuse, they don't clarify. Sojis create problems, they don't solve them. And as a society, we can still show concern for an individual who's struggling with feeling accepted or, or wrestling with an internal conflict over their gender without passing bad laws. Sojis are distorting, they're unhelpful, and they're outright dangerous. Sojis are bad for our communities, and there are much better ways to promote human flourishing and to protect the freedoms of every member of our society. Thank you. All right. I've given you a handout on arguments against uh, sexual orientation, gender identity, public accommodation laws that, that involve that. And so you've got that there. I'm not gonna go over that anymore. But let me just say this. There's a website called churchclarity.org. I don't have time to show the video on it, but you can go to it right now. And what that is, is this organization has people who are going to your website or they, in addition, maybe coming to your church and they're trying to determine gay-friendly churches. In other words, what is your church clear on whether it affirms homosexuality or does it, is it clear that it denies it as the acceptable behavior? So they're already, you know, preachers are thinking, well, it's not, I'm just not having anything to do with me. Well, it is. I mean, they are. You're, it's going to be impossible to stay neutral. So I just want you to see that that's already out there, and our George Baptist churches are in it. Depends on how many have already been surveyed, and they have already gone through and tried to determine where you are. Soji that she was talking about is that sexual orientation? Gender identity. That's what it stands for. Sexual or orientation, that's what you consider yourself to be. Your identity, or male, female, whatever. Now let's talk a little bit more about what we're supposed to do when we look at this. We, we talk about the fact that we are to reject it. The scripture says that the enemy shall come in like a flood, but the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up the standard against him. 
and so it must be rejected in in these three areas and most people don't understand that these are the three institutions that are god-given institutions that god is called to govern the earth the home the church and most people are hard to believe this government government is god's idea and that can be found in romans chapter 13. these are those institutions that's where the guarding has to be done and you can add into that then those other entities, schools, businesses, and others that the government has influence on. So we must therefore reject it. And I want to talk to you a little bit about how we do that. Well, we do that with teaching a biblical worldview. I mean, these 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 topics need to be addressed in small groups from the pulpit. Uh, opportunities on sexual. Moral issues on a regular basis need to be addressed from the scripture, from a biblical perspective. Uh, human sexuality needs to be defined biblically. And marriage and family, teaching and yes, examples need to be seen. We were living in a day when I didn't hear a lot of teaching on the family. And then further to add insult to the injury, we didn't see a lot of examples. Kids are needing to see what the Bible says a family is supposed to be. In Hart County right now, in what is called South Hart Elementary, only 40% of the children come from biological families, meaning the mother and the father, their biological mother and father are in the home. Only 40%. We've had 11 of our adults go and become volunteers as mentors to meet with those children once a week spend time with them at lunch or whenever because they don't have any they don't have the structure that they need or the adults in their life to kind of help them along um, so we've been engaged in that and then I want to talk about the impact again not to justify homosexuality but I just want you to know that heterosexual impact particularly heterosexual sin has done more to destroy the home way before the prevalence of homosexuality and same-sex marriage became the norm in our nation. Abortifacients, for example, and it was basically this, that we're interested in having sex without babies, which has now led to the time we're interested in having babies without sex. In other words, we, we just totally took out the relationship for what God intended it to be. I'm not here to preach against um, birth control, anything. I, I, my point is just that abortifacient is that which happens after a egg is fertilized, you have what's called uh, conception, takes place. That's why Hobby Lobby didn't want to be under Obamacare. It wasn't birth control, contraceptives that they were against. It was giving abortifacients that would cause basically a chemical abortion inside of the woman. So that's that's the point we're talking about. So if you believe life begins at conception, fertilization of an egg, you have at that moment 46 chromosomes, a unique individual created image of God. And if you kill it, you know, if I had a picture of a baby uh, inside the womb or a picture of an embryo and a picture of a child, you're seeing the same thing. And if you don't believe me, look at it in the animal world. They consider killing a turtle egg, an embryo, the same as killing a sea turtle over here on Jekyll Island. 
and the fines and the penalties are extraordinary. Why? Because they recognize that killing, the same way if it comes to destroying an eagle egg. I mean, I, I've got an illustration, you go all the way through that. But if you kill a human embryo, there's no fines or penalties. So the animal kingdom is getting more respect for life <laughs> because they realize that the killing of a turtle embryo is killing the turtle. It's the same thing. There's no difference. Um, anyway, I get, get hung up in my right to life before the end. The legalization of abortion has had a, a devastating impact on the family. No fault divorce, which, by the way, is at its 50-year anniversary. And it started in California. Uh, and, by the way, the back then, uh, my understanding is that there were rates as high as 70% recorded of divorce. Now it's at 50. It's working. No, let me tell you how it's working. People aren't getting married as much as they used to. It's just hard to lose an auto race if I don't race. I mean, you know, it won't happen. It's hard to have a, hard to have a failing marriage if you don't get married. Um, you know, not that that's always the end game, I'm just saying. And then the acceptance of living together before marriage, cohabitation and fornication is, is getting I'm impressed with young people that will wait till 25, 26, 27 to get married. My concern is, is are, are they involved in abstinence while they're doing that? Uh, but when I see the way they dress and they're rubbing all over each other, I'm starting to wonder, you know, if you put fire or gasoline, you're going to have problems. Uh, and the Lord doesn't change the nature of those combustible materials. And God didn't create our bodies to start and stop. In the sexual act, that's why God said, "You're, you know, the marriage bed doesn't need to be defiled; and you need to be married." So that's the way God sets you up. And again, don't get me started on all this denial, responsibility, and raising our children that we've seen today, putting it off on other people, the government, and others. I'm just saying, all of that's been tearing our families apart way before homosexuality came came along, and. You say, well, is that the same? No, it's not the same. Let me tell you why. Because you can fix marriage. You can't fix homosexuality. You can't fix same-sex marriage. It's wrong at its core. Marriage is right. But it can be going wrong. But you can fix that with truth and counseling and all those kinds of things. Uh, but same-sex marriage is now going to finish off the basically of what was already being seen. Uh, we talk about a public policy standpoint. The greatest danger we face beyond same-sex marriage is, again, the public accommodation laws and civil rights statutes that recognize the LGBT as a protected class of citizens. They want equal protection of the law as race, religion, sex, and national origin. I've got another video I want to show, but I don't think I've got time. I'm going to, I'm going to have to move on. But it just simply talks about, uh, we have a program, by the way, if you're a pastor, with it's called Church Alliance. And Michael Ferris, with, uh, used to be the Homeschool Legal Defense Fund, is now uh, head of, church, of the uh, Alliance Defending Freedom. Alliance Defending Freedom has developed a, a program called Church Alliance, where 
for like a small Georgia Baptist church, based on your size, it'll be around $200 a year. It's, it's all prorated based on the size of the church. You get a 20% discount. You have an attorney to assign to your church, and the first thing they will do is do a phone audit after you have emailed them all of your documents make sure that your employment and all those things are in line, your policies regarding church use and facilities, so, they, so that you are ready. And it actually encourages pastors to be bolder because they know somebody's there to protect them. Uh, and so let me show you just a little bit about that. Protecting Your Ministry is a book. I've got it over here, but you can download it on the website that I just showed you earlier. Uh, came out with... Uh, the uh, ERLC and with Alliance Defending Freedom. And in it, it has all the things that you need to know. Statement of faith on gender uh, and sexuality. For example, well, we have in our bylaws it's between a man and a woman. Not good enough. And he say a biological man and a biological dad. Just to give you an example, you got to really go down. It's not just enough. You and I know what marriage meant. Marriage meant it for all of human history. Even among paganism, marriage was considered to be something between a man and a woman. It wasn't discriminatory to think that it was only between a man and a woman because that's what it is. It's what marriage is. Facility use policies, minister marriage policies, membership. Becoming a member of church is very big. I was in Sevierville, First Baptist Church up there, uh, where Dan, uh, what was his name, used to be the president of the convention here as a pastor. I was up there uh, after uh, the marriage really came down, and they were changing their policy because they had a chapel that was used for marriages, and Sevierville is like number one in Tennessee for marriage license. And uh, I was noticing there that you join the church, but during their business meeting once a month is when your name is submitted for membership. Now you don't join the church that morning. You come forward and submit yourself that morning. They vote on you during the business meeting. And you've already had to go through whatever you need to go through to approve the ability of membership. And then also dealing with church discipline policies church because you may have somebody that been in the church in 20 years, but they're just as much a member and can vote in that next business meeting as the guy that's there three times a week. And they may come back and say, I want to use your fellowship hall. I'm getting married. Well, unless the secretary asks them a little more detail, they don't realize he might be marrying a man. You know, and it's a man. Marrying a man. Well, I'm a church member. I want to, why are you telling me I can't use it? you have a policy that says that? Anyway, going through, you see that thing definitely dealing with employment and all those other issues. Statement of final authority, faith, and conduct. Everything that we're concerned about in SOGI's and in public accommodation law will be accomplished on a federal level if the Equality Act takes place. It's under the book, the book that I told you, Protecting Your Church. Right there. Well, I don't know if the two organizations put it together. But you go to the Public Affairs site and look under the marriage thing. There's a marriage heading that you can click on. 
you can download a PDF. <coughs> is that GPD website or ERLC? Both. But the one I'm talking about is at gabadges.org slash public affairs. That web page has a marriage section on you can click on and download this material. Does that apply to nonprofit faith-based organizations as well or just the churches? This was only written to churches. They have, I think, a separate one dealing with nonprofits. Uh, that's, that's why Georgia Baptists are trying to get all of our organizations and churches under ADF so that they have went through a policy audit. I'm about to run out of time. I haven't gotten to the part I need to get to in the conclusion. But there's so much to talk about this, you all know that. Now I want to talk to you about the other side, and that is the love of the homosexual. We need to see the difference between the activists and the community. And I have befriended homosexuals and, and, and those activists that are out there as well. And I have about six or seven that I'm praying for every day to be saved as, as I have opportunity to try to keep them on my heart all the time. I've talked to, I've witnessed to, um, that I've had an opportunity to engage. And I can honestly say I do agree um, with Lynn Stanton that not all homosexuals, for example, consider themselves gay. I'll tell you why. Because gay has become like a political move. Yeah. And, and I want to say this. I know, I, I'm saying all that to say, let me go ahead and hand this out too, because when I get to this part of the thing, people are going to think that I'm fixing to go left on you or not. There's a message I preached in 2012 on the rejection of homosexuality. I am adamantly opposed to homosexuality. I just want you to know that. But uh, let me just be quite honest with you. Some of the nicest people I've ever met are homosexuals. And, and I want to say this, not not to be despairingly, but just to be honest, on the meanest people I've ever met, a churchman. I mean, just 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 I'm just saying. I, I mean, I, 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 I mean. Now, does that make either one of them's lifestyle correct? No, I'm just I'm just saying you out there that there's this. Uh, if we're not careful, there's this. Ah, anybody that comes at you like that, and I had that feeling used to joke about being a homophobe, okay? And let, let me just go ahead and just jump right into where I want to close this thing. If you see a guy walking around here with tattoos all over his arm, that's my son. A Baptist preacher's son. Five years ago, he walked away from the faith. And was gone for three months. I didn't know where he was or what he was doing, except for what I unfortunately saw on Facebook. Only God knows what he did. I thought he was going to be in here. He's in another class now. It's the first time he's traveled with me in five years. So in the last year and a half, he's come back to the Lord. He still, after those three months he was gone, he came he still lived with us, son, but for like four years, his professional paparazzi's hung out down there where you're at. And he knows all of these movie stars, and he's been everywhere. I mean, he, he'd just been there. He was right one month, I think, was ranked number one paparazzi in the, in the United States in one month of the Reagan system. You know, make thousands of dollars every month, tens of thousands of dollars on one picture. But I was in that room in 2015 after he had come back home, but he was still just wild. We were trying to maintain him as best we could. I just glad he was back home. 
And I was in 2015 when I was in that first RIFLA hearing in room 212, 216. We didn't have, we, they couldn't meet in the room where they were supposed to have the hearing. And LGBT people would be coming in for like three hours to pack out that room. And me and Kay Godwin just over here and um, uh, the Archdiocese lobbyist and attorney, Frank Mulcahy, I think we were only three straight people in the room. And the room was about one quite twice this side. And I mean, we were, I've never been so close to gay people in all my life. And the panel that was going to hear the bill were up here. And it was just so confusing in there, but they began to testify. And again, my heart broke for what they're going through when they are being mistreated. I, I know my old redneck self when he says, you make your bed, you lie in it, you got to come to it. But let me just say this, what began to break my heart in there, and since that meeting, <coughs> was that could have been my son, that could have been my daughter. Because indeed, I didn't know what my son and, my, my, and you say, okay, so it makes a big difference if it's your child. Well, it does make a difference. Now, anybody sitting here saying that it doesn't make a difference if it's your child, I don't care what they're doing, uh, it does have a different prick in your heart. But you know what I realized? Every man and woman in that room was somebody's son or daughter. And my heart began to break at what I heard they were going through. And my heart began to break at how many of them they have never heard the gospel. They don't know another thing. Now, I believe God's put a void in everybody's heart. I believe God's put eternity in everybody's heart. And I believe they're looking for the Lord even though they don't know they're looking for the Lord. And so through that experience, it had a tremendous impact. Of course, that time Mike was still not, I mean, he was back, but he wasn't back. But so I began to realize, well, the activism needs to be rejected and repelled. The Constitution, the Bible, the Gospel, all tells us to do that. But I began to realize that the LGBT community needs to be loved. And love involves grace and truth. You know, I like what Stanton said. He says, truth without grace is abusive, and grace without truth is mere sentimentalism. And, and, and grace and truth, for example, would be that abortion is a sin. That's true. Listen to this. Grace says that abortion can be forgiven. And that same son who's here walking around with me, before he walked away from the faith, was with me after our Georgia Right Life meeting that I had spoken at. And he said, Dad, it was a great meeting. It's just one thing you forgot. I said, what was that? He said, you forgot to tell them that abortion is not the unpardonable sin. That they can be forgiven. So we don't ever talk about sin without reminding people that Jesus came on the cross to die for that sin so they can be forgiven. And so the redemptive side of this message cannot be canned because of our anger toward the action of what the homosexuals are doing and realize that's a person that Jesus Christ died for on the cross to save them of their sin. And he gave, came to give them an opportunity to repent and believe and trust him. Which brings me to this. We need to understand the homosexuality. It's the worst sense, the original sense. But listen to this. A 
Original sin is the great equalizer of all sinners, but listen to this, indwelling sin is the great humbler of all Christians. You know, we've been forgiven, but let me tell you something, we're still battling indwelling sin. And, and, and my point is this, you know, uh, I've always been a heterosexual. And I'm married, but you know what? I'm tempted. Is there any men here not tempted just because you got married? You don't get tempted to lust at a woman? I'm still tempted. But you know what? Now that I'm saved, I can embrace the cross, die to self, let Jesus live through me. I conquer that temptation every single time. Jesus wins every time I yield him. And that's what I try to share with the homosexual community. You know, you may still have those temptations, but you know what? You don't have to lust anymore. And I, I know one of the ladies I've listened to, I think I have her name right here. She was talking about uh, that was a lesbian. And she was saying, you know, she got saved and she was working in a fast food. And this girl come in and she's like, well, that's a hot woman. Well, he, she was starting to lust at her. Turned around and walked back into the kitchen and said, conviction hit her. And she said, yes, I'm saved. I know I'm saved now because before I got saved, I wouldn't have been tempted and started thinking about the lust and hurt. I'd have kept right on doing it. I mean, I'd have, I'd have hung into it. But now, because of Christ, I, I don't want to do that no more. And, but see, we all deal with that, even as Christians, on some level. And How so, can you convince them of that? Hang on. For all the sin, original sin leaves, it, leaves its imprint on all of us in many different ways. This is a picture of me on Channel 11 debating live Brian Long, who was with Better Georgia back then. And this was when they were riding around uh, the Capitol with uh, a billboard on the side of a truck, basically saying that the Religious Liberty Bill was going to cause abuse in the home, women were going to be big children, and they could, they could get away with it because they could say they were doing it because of their religion. So he and I are going to go debate each other live in front of Brenda Wood. So I get to the to the TV station, and they've been wearing me out on Twitter all afternoon, just calling me everything what I am. So I got in there, and, and I'm in a hurry, you know, getting in the line of traffic, and we got about 20 or 30 minutes before we go on TV. They said, well, just go in there in the green room and wait to open the door. And there was Brian said, in a room about half this size. He's on the other side of the room. I just walk in and sit down right there and <laughs> click. <laughs> if you ever sat in the room what you felt like was your worst enemy and you just click and you're just sitting there looking at each other. I said, Brian, I want to know something. After we do this day, how you doing? He said, I don't hate you. I love you. I said, I've repented of my homophobia derogatory remarks I've said against your community. I'm not here to hurt you. I know we disagree on some issues, but I just want you to know that in front. And he looked at me and said, well, if that's true, then why is it that people like you say that people like me are going to go to hell? I said, Brian, we're all going to hell. <laughs> that's why Jesus died on the cross to keep us from going to hell. I said, we've all sinned and fallen short and 
original sin has had its impact on us in every way. And I'm here to tell you that homosexuality may not have a greater impact here or there or whatever it is, but I'm just saying we're all sinners. I mean, that's why Jesus came. And I said, you know what? Your sin don't even make the top seven list. And he said, what? I said, do you know what the number one sin is to God? He said, I ought to know. I used to be a Southern Baptist. <laughs> I said, well, the Bible says that there are six things the Lord hates, you, seven. And number one is a proud look. I said, you know what the pride that keeps us from trusting Christ our Lord and Savior is that we don't believe that we're a sinner and we need to be saved. And, you know, we just, we just sit there and we just begin to talk. And then we went out. And if you go that 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 debate is on the video channel on Public Affairs. Just keep scrolling through about five or six pages, you'll find it. And you don't see us beating on each other. We're beating on the issue. I'm defending Kelvin Cochran because we, that that issue came up to. And I got back in my car and whipped out my phone and looked and I went to the Twitter feed. And to this day, I've never had, to my knowledge, a negative tweet. For the organization out uh, of existence uh, first of this year. And so my point was is that I came to realize uh, you know when you look at all the sins that are listed there, there's a lot there's other things out there, there there's a whole list of things that will keep us from inheriting the kingdom of God. And there's the passage I was talking about the proud look at the time. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. And so here's the fact. Jesus gave the law to the proud, but he gave grace to the humble for those who will humble themselves and seek his face. And if you go and you look at these two passages, I just want you to see that here Jesus says that those religious people who didn't do anything, quote, wrong in front of anybody were worse or be treated worse on the day of judgment than those who were in Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> I mean, the Pharisees, Jesus was more against Phariseeism than he was homosexuality, if you were to look at it from that standpoint. And then you go and look at Ezekiel, when Ezekiel was talking about the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, look what he says. He says, the sisters are you've done wrong. He says, behold, your sister and her daughters had arrogance, pride, abundance of food, prosperity, careless ease, materialism. Then he says, let haughtily and committed abominations. Those, didn't, those were not the first sins. Here is where the first ones were. Up here, arrogance. I'm not telling you all this is bad. I'm telling you that a lot of what we're seeing in the LGBT community it's the symptom of a country that has gone wrong and a people of God who no longer sees their own sin. I'm not, I'm not trying to make it too simple here for you, but I'm just here to, I'm trying to break this thing down so that you can actually see it for, for what it is. So we need to repent of our homophobia, our bigotry, our derogatory remarks. I, I mean, that, those don't all accomplish anything. I mean, I, I, I still may say some things among others, but I'm thinking, you know, all that does is propagate a wall against those people that's not going to hit. It doesn't do any good. It really does not do any good. And I, and I, and I preached a message back again 
it was within the last five years, as I began to study this subject, I preached on a message on prejudice and discrimination. And I know that the passage I'm talking about here is talking about a rich guy coming in and being shown favoritism. But the points are true across the board on anything when we treat somebody different because of what they have on the outside. Understand that Christ's kind of love is not expressed with favoritism. Understand that God's love is not demonstrated with worldly standards. Understand that expressing love with prejudice discrimination is a sin. Understand that real love is a reaction caused from an experience of God's love in our own life. I mean, our churches are hard to be characterized as kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving. That's what Ephesians 4 says. The church is, you know why? Kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving? It was Jesus. Jesus was kind, tender-hearted, forgiving to all who would come. I mean, he was there for them. He was wide open. Uh, and so we have a, need to have a renewed conviction in our church that the gospel can save anyone. Y'all got five, I can take you five minutes over into your break. I want to show you a quick video. Do you think that the ones that started making a big deal out of, you know, I should be on the Jews, do you think that they um, grew up in the same homes? Not necessarily. What's happening is uh, social media, uh, you're having uh, parents who intentionally or unintentionally are encouraging this peer-to-peer -peer situations that are going on now uh, a, a lack of belief in an absolute morality being taught that you're basically an animal if you teach children that they're animals don't be surprised they act that way uh, I want you to see the difference right here when I started reading the Bible, I was reading it for a research project. You know, I was writing a book on the religious right from a lesbian feminist perspective. And, you know, my colleague was an anthropologist. He could go off to promise keepers, you know, meetings and interview people. But I'm an English professor by training. My job is to read this book that got all these people in trouble and figure out why. And um, no, I'm serious. You think I'm kidding. I'm cleaned up right now. This <laughs> is... Um, you know, in addition to that, I'm an English professor by training. I'm a whole book specialist, so my job is to size up a book in terms of its integrity. Um, I would never use the Norton Anthology. I would, you know, you'd have to read all of it. My job is to make sure that the parts make up the whole. So when I started reading the Bible, it was absolutely undoing to me to discover that that is what we have here. It was absolutely um, hermeneutically shocking to me to discover that the Bible was a unified biblical revelation. I was undone at the reality that God deals differently with people when people deal differently with God. I was blown away by the democratization of original sin and the free gift of the gospel. And most of all, my total undoing was to realize that I had thought I was on the side of righteousness and goodness and kindness and compassion. And it was my total undoing to realize that not only was it Jesus I had been persecuting the whole time, but it was my Jesus, my prophet, my priest, my savior, my king, and my friend. And so that was my encounter with the Lord. 
I don't know how else to say it except for that the pastor that the Lord used in, in my conversion was my neighbor and my friend. We opened the word together because I was trying to critique it, and he was more than happy to help me keep reading it. Um, I was using him, and perhaps he was using me. But I never felt like a project. And part of why I never felt like a project was that Ken Smith always realized that the big sin in my life was unbelief. Everything else would get worked out in the wash. Amen. The big sin in her life was not was not lesbianism. The big sin in every lost. When I started reading the Bible, I was reading it for a reason. Is unbelief. Don't let their sin keep us from getting to what the heart of the issue is. The gospel. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever quits being a homosexual can get saved. No, who believes, which that belief is more than a mental ascent. The demons of hell believe and shudder. It's got to be beyond getting scared. But it's, it's a real submission. And I put it this way when I'm sharing gospel. I say we're saved by grace through faith. What is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. Faith forsaking all I trust him. So we forsake all and trust Christ, throw ourselves on the mercy seat of Christ and receive God's grace by doing that. And, you know, it just, uh, I, I tell you, this conference, my son walking away from the faith, developing and seeing what was happening in the LGBT community. I've got, I've had homosexual sight. You know, there's no way I would ever force you bake a cake or do anything I don't I would never treat you that way. You know my my being able to say that and now being able to see that Mike has come back to the Lord and the time that we've had to, to pray and weep together and just him talking about and I've said Mike how can I reach people like you? And he said Dad it takes time just spend time with people. Don't judge them, just spend time with them and then just answer their questions and just love on them and show them that you care for them. Uh, and that, and I'll tell you, the love of Christ will just break any barrier. And I have been such a poor example. I feel so much of my of that. But for such a time as this, as the Lord changed me to help me to see that, Again, I've always believed that, understood that. I just want to live that. And um, having had the opportunity, I haven't been able to quote win one of them to Christ and be there when I saw them pray and receive Christ. But I've been able to share. I mean, I, I can't say your name was being reported, but I've, I've developed a relationship where I know this person is. And I was just able to put my arm around the Capitol and say, you know, God loves you just the way you are. Now, I didn't mean that to affirm that which might have been wrong. I'm just saying God loves you the way you are, but I want to tell you something. He loves us so much, he wants us to make us to be like Jesus. And I said, you know, God's still changing. He's changing my life, too. And 
You know, sometimes that may be all I can get across. And for me, Mike Griffin, right wing lobbyist, fundamentalist, Bible believing, thumping Baptist. Just if I walk up to somebody and speak to them and watch them, because they think I got horns in my head, they just think I'm like this all the time. And just, you know, I, I've been nominated to go into this Atlanta magazine of being an influential person in Atlanta. And they asked you know, the thing that they were asking me questions, what are some of the things you've learned? And one of the things I put in there that I had learned growing up and all now is I've come to realize that uh, politicians are people. And what do I mean by that? That you need to love them pray for minister to them, not just up there beating on them because I'm trying to get them past legislation. They got wives, they got children, they got family, and that's the same way with these folks. So finally, over the last three or four years, I've been able to get over these, these stereotypical character traits that I see in people and just try to look over all that Look, thank you for your time. God bless y'all. I'm here to talk to you. All we, all we can do is go eat something anyway. But be glad to help you out anyway. Thank y'all. Love you. Appreciate it.